So I hope you've noticed a pattern over the last couple of weeks that Revelation is not just this. There's a lot more going on than just between he and I. We saw, for example, a couple weeks ago that the way I treat my body has a tremendous influence on Revelation. So now all of a sudden, my spirit, my body, I've got Revelation throwing here, but I've kind of got this over here that I need to pay attention to. And all of a sudden we begin to say, oh my goodness, there's a whole lot of those. There's a whole lot of these types of issues that affect this. And maybe one of the reasons I'm not getting as much up and down is because I'm not really paying attention to some of the things that are going here. Now, I know we don't use the cross. I understand why we don't. We celebrate his resurrection and not his death. But do you see in that shape a significant message? What's the first commandment? Love God. What's the second commandment? Love each other. And all of a sudden you begin to see that shape really does have a lot of instruction. Jesus told us to take up our cross. And so I want to apply this to Revelation, that I am interested in Revelation that comes between Heavenly Father and myself. But there are a whole lot of these issues that affect this. And I want to help you understand how this affects this. Now, I call myself a pattern hunter. I am a pattern hunter, and I believe that God is a God of patterns, and He teaches by patterns. And if we recognize patterns, we can open up some doors that we wouldn't notice if we weren't using patterns. There's this beautiful verse in 3 Nephi, when Jesus is quoting Isaiah, He says, everything that Isaiah prophesied has been and shall be. How can something has been and shall be? But that's our Heavenly Father. You don't realize how much information He's given us about what shall be unless you look at what has been. So much of what shall be has been. And so I look for patterns. For example, we talk about this great meeting at Adam on Diamond, right? This is mysterious meeting at Adam on Diamond. That's a has, that's a shall be. Has there ever been a meeting at Adam on Diamond? Yes. And so if we want to know what shall be, we look at what has been. The other thing I love about patterns is I see emphasis. Wouldn't it be nice if our scriptures came pre-marked with Heavenly Father telling us which one were his favorite verses? Do we believe all verses are of equal worth? All verses of Scripture are of equal worth. We do not. You don't. I guarantee you don't because you don't mark every verse, do you? If you were to open up your Scriptures, is every verse marked? So why do you mark some verses and not other verses? Because some are more significant than the others. Do you think Heavenly Father has his favorite verses? Do you think there are some verses that mean more to him than other verses? Wouldn't it be nice if he underlined them? Wouldn't it be nice if we bought our scriptures pre-underlined with the Lord saying, this is the most important verse in this chapter. 
So how does he mark our scriptures? How does Heavenly Father tell you which verses are most important? Repetition. He repeats it. So I have developed a heightened sense of noticing repeated patterns. And some of the most powerful lessons I've learned are in seeing repeated patterns. And so allow me to show you a repeated pattern that blows my mind and has everything to do with Revelation, and yet not very many people will connect it to Revelation. I want to start in Matthew chapter 13. Let me show you a repeated pattern starting in Matthew chapter 13. Now, when you turn to Matthew 13, tell me what is the gist of Matthew 13. All of Matthew 13 contains... Yell it out. What are they? Parables. A whole list of parables. Who has one of them marked? You have anything marked in Matthew 13? What do you have marked? First one? Sower, right? Four different types of soil. Not only does he give that parable, but he interprets it, doesn't he? He says, here's the parable. And then later on, he says, here's the interpretation of the parable. Then he gives this parable. Jesus in the New Testament gives the parable of the wheat and the tares. Another parable he put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. And while men slept, while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat. Now tell me what you know about this parable. Wheat and the tares. Amelia? Okay, so when they start to grow, they don't rank yake out the tares because it might disrupt the wheat, so we let them grow. Now that's a problem because they look the same until the end. So what's the point? What's the point? What's the moral of the parable? Interesting, right? No one has ever been able to tell me what's the point. They grow together. I'm not content with just saying there's no point here. So I began to say, okay, why would the Lord make such an emphasis on a parable and not make the point? So I began looking. Turn with me to Doctrine and Covenants section 86. Doctrine and Covenants section 86, and guess what you'll find? Tell me what the Lord does in section 86. He explains the parable of the wheat and the tares. Now, does he do that with any other parable in the Doctrine and Covenants? The answer is no. He does not explain any other parable in the Doctrine and Covenants. That alone, uh-oh, boom, I'm starting to pay attention. He's emphasizing the parable of the wheat and the tares, and no other parable gets this attention. So what's he saying? What's the point here? Do you remember that phrase, while men slept? Let me talk about the parable of the wheat and the tares, the field, the world, the sowers, 
And then he says, after they have fallen asleep, the great persecutor of the church, the apostate, the whore, even Babylon, that maketh all nations to drink of her cup, in whose heart the enemy, blah, blah, blah. That's the one that drove the church into the wilderness and sowed the tares. Behold, in the last days, even now, while the Lord is beginning to bring forth the world, blah, blah, blah. So what's he saying? When was the falling asleep period? The apostasy. So he's commenting, not in general, he's commenting about the latter. It's a veiled parable in the New Testament about the latter days. The apostles sowed the good seed, and during the apostasy, the enemy sowed tares. So what he's trying to say is, one of his biggest concerns about your life is that you are growing up with wheat and tear and you can't tell the difference. If we were to go to the Bible dictionary, let me quickly flip to the Bible dictionary. Uh, do I have this one? Let me go to this one. Let me flip to the Bible dictionary, scriptures, study helps, Bible dictionary, look up the word tares. Two problems with tares. Tell me about tares. Poisonous weed and looks exactly like weed until the very end. Now, let me see if I can make the point. Jesus is commenting to them about you and one of his biggest concerns. You are growing in a world where you can't tell the difference between poison and wheat. You can't, that's the problem with the latter days. You are growing up with poison and wheat all around you. And sometimes you can't tell the difference. Now, as I think about that, as I ponder what that means, okay, what's the point? I'm their teacher. What am I supposed to say? What's the point he's trying to teach me to teach you? As I calculate that, it seems to me there are four possibilities of you and the wheat and the tares. I'm going to do the positive on the top, the negative on the bottom. The positive is I look at you and I see wheat. And so I let you into my life. I make room for you in my life because I think you're wheat and what you turned out to be was wheat. I lived long enough to know I got it right. How many of you can look back on your life and say, I got it right. I let that person into my life and they were a huge blessing in my life. I got that one right. I saw wheat, it was wheat, I was fed. What's the other good possibility? I looked and said, that's poison. That's poison and I'm keeping it out of my life. I don't want that in my life. And it turned out to be poison. I got it right. 
When I was a very young teenager, we were camping and I was walking through the field all alone and I found an unopened pack of cigarettes. And I was curious. But something in my soul said, that's poison. You leave it alone. And I have lived long enough to know I got that one right. I saw poison, I saw tear, and it turned out to be tear. Those are the positives, but give me the negatives. Tell me the negatives. One very real negative is I see wheat and I let you into my life and you poison me because what you really are is tear. That's a concern. May I suggest that one of the biggest problems with receiving revelation is because you've let poison into your life. You let what you thought was wheat into your life and it poisoned you. What's the other negative? Do you see it? I look at you and see tear. I want nothing to do with you. I keep you at a distance, but what you turned out to be was wheat. This one, I poison myself. This one, I starve myself. Now, tell me what Jesus is saying with the repetition, with the emphasis. One of his biggest concerns about you, he cares so deeply about you. And one of his biggest concerns is that you are growing up in a world where poison and wheat are often indistinguishable. And sometimes you're going to let the poison in and sometimes you're going to keep the wheat out. Now, where is this story in the Book of Mormon? If this is as big a deal as I claim it is, it ought to be prominently placed in the Book of Mormon. Where is this story in the Book of Mormon? Where do the people think they see wheat, let him in, and he turns out to be poison, and look at someone else and see poison, keep him out, and he turned out to be wheat? King Noah, Abinadi. Now, where does the Lord put that story? One of the most prominent stories in the Book of Mormon is this same story. Now, all of a sudden, it's like, okay, he's got my attention. Parable in the New Testament, section in the Doctrine and Covenants, and a very prominent story in the Book of Mormon saying, beware of getting it wrong. So let me tell the Book of Mormon story. Allow me to point out how prominent this story is. Now, who was the Book of Mormon written for? Did any any Nephite have Mormon's abridgment of the Book of Mosiah? No. Who was Mosiah written for? You and I. Coming right off the bat, the Lord says, let me tell you about the danger of getting this wrong. 
So let me tell you the story of King Noah and Abinadi. Turn with me to Alma, or sorry, Mosiah. Turn with me to Mosiah chapter 11. Let's start in Mosiah 11. Now you tell me in what world is this man my friend? How in the world did they consider this man their friend? And tell me if you can see what Mormon saw. Can you see Mormon who saw our day and is trying to write a story to answer the problems of our day? All right. In what world is this my friend? I'm going to have to use this version. Sorry. Let me use... We'll do this together. Mosiah chapter 11. Okay. So tell me about this man. Tell me what he's doing. Verse 2. Tell me what King Noah is doing in verse 2. Okay. With many women, right? He has many, many women, many concubines. Now, hold on. Where's he getting these women? This is not a large group of millions of Nephites. This is not Zarahemla. Zenith left Zarahemla to come down and live among the Lamanites. Zenith's son was Noah. This is not a very large group of Nephites. So where is he getting these women? They are our sisters and our mothers and our daughters. The king is taking our women as his wives. And I think he's my friend. Really? In what world is that man my friend? That he's taking many wives from among us. And, verse 3, he's taxing us. One-fifth of all that we possess. One-fifth of everything we possess goes to the king. Now, I'm okay paying a high tax if I get something out of it. But what am I getting out of it? What is he doing with the tax? Let's read verse 6. Okay, let's read verse 6. And thus they were supported in their laziness and their idolatry in their whoredoms by the taxes which King Noah had put upon his people. And thus the people did labor exceedingly. I'm paying high taxes so he can live like a bum. How is this my friend? In what world is that man my friend? How is he living? Look at verse 14. Tell me how he's living. What's the phrase here? In a our society, what would that include? Tell me what riotous living would include. We know it includes lots of women, drugs, alcohol, and who's paying for it all? We are. And we think this guy's our friend. Are you fooled? Now, verse 15, what do we know about him? He's a drunk. Our king is a drunk. And he's our friend. Now, hold on. Let's not be so judgmental. Maybe, Mosiah 11. Maybe we ought to go back through and see if perhaps we can recognize why the blinders are on and they see friend instead of foe. Why are the blinders on and they think this man is weak? One reason I would suggest is verse 2. Why did they think he was their friend? Underlined now. 
He told them it was okay to sin. The king gave them permission to sin. It's okay. Oh, I like what he says. I like what he's telling me. And even though he's taking our women and living a riotous life off of our tax, ooh, I like that. It's okay to sin? Hmm. And I start to see friend, not foe. How about this one? I think this is significant. Verse 7. How many of you have let a poison into your life because he, was, he or she was very flattering? How many of you have been fooled and let poison into your life because they made you feel special and they flattered you? How about verse 12? Tell me what the tower made them feel. King builds a tower, puts a guard on it so he can see the enemy coming. Tell me what the tower made them feel. Safe. How many poisons have found their way into your heart and your life because they made you feel safe? They flattered you, made you feel safe, and told you it was okay to sin. And you let the poison in. Do you see the problem? Last verse of chat. Well, let's do Abinadi first. Okay, Abinadi comes among them, among them, and says what? Tell me what Abinadi's message is. Noah says, it's okay to sin. It's okay to sin. You're not doing anything wrong. It's fine. And Abinadi comes along and says what? Repent, you sinners, or else you're going to be destroyed. I'll deliver you into the hands of your enemy. You'll be brought into bondage. You'll be afflicted by your hand, the hands of your enemies. And they said what? I don't like you. You're saying things I don't want to hear. I don't like what you're telling me. You are poison. I don't want you in my life. They were wroth with him and sought to take away his life. But what was he there to do? Tell me what Abinadi was there to do. Save them. Everything Abinadi prophesies comes to pass. Every pain he told them they would have, they have and they wanted to kill him. Do you see the story? Do you just hear the Lord trying to wave his arms? They wanted to kill him. Now the last verse of chapter 11 is so significant. The eyes of the people were blinded. What did they see when they looked at Abinadi? Enemy. What did they see when they looked at Noah? Friend. Now, let me tell you. Well, let's go to 13. Let's add, let's add to it. Let's go to 13. Well, no, let's go to 12. Sorry, not 13. Let's go to 12. Abinadi comes back and look at all the things that Abinadi says. I have Abinadi's message in Oren. Tell me what kind of things Abinadi is saying to them. 
Ouch! Right? Abinadi is saying you're going to be smitten, you're going to be in bondage. Your fl- the wild beasts will devour your flesh. Do wild beasts devour their flesh? Yes. All of these things happen just like Abinadi predicted. And yet when he warned them, what was their reaction? When he warned them about a danger that was coming, what was their reaction? They were angry with him, took him and carried him bound to the king. They took him to Noah, who's their friend, and they bound Abinadi, who's their enemy. Now, what did they say? Now, I have been in this business a long time. I've been teaching for 30 years, and allow me to get right up in your face. I've watched a lot of young people do the same thing. They're Noah blind. They look at friend and see foe. They look at foe and see friend. They look at the people in their life who are just trying to help them and they see enemy. And then they look at the people who flatter them and they let them into their lives. And they always use the J word. It's so common. These people take Abinadi back to Noah and they say, what's the J word? Noah blind people always use the J word. What's the J word? You're judging. You're judging me, mom. You don't know him like I do. You're judging. That's what you say about Noah or about Abinadi. He's my enemy. And so tell me what they do. Tell me what they do to Abinadi. They burn him. They kill him. Now, let me fast forward. Let me tell you how it always ends. This is how the story it always is. I watch it in, in lives in front of me all the time. This is how the story ends. Let me show you the ending. Go to chapter 19. Let me show you the ending. And I love the fact that we get to read this in the Book of Mormon as a warning of our lives. Ready? Here's the ending. Starts with Gideon, who finally sees what Noah really is. And Gideon's going to kill him. Gideon realizes that our, the biggest threat to our safety is you, king. You are the enemy. And Gideon comes with a sword to slay him. And they start fighting. And they get up on top of the tower and they see the Lamanites. And King Noah sees that the Lamanites are upon them. He says in verse 7, Gideon, spare me for the Lamanites are upon us and they will destroy us and they will destroy my people. I need someone to read verse 8. Who wants to? Katana, read verse 8. Nice and loud. And now the king was not so much concerned about his people as he was about his own. One more time. Again. Forgive me, but one more time. Noah is not your friend. He is not your friend. He does not care about you. He cares about himself. He is not your friend. Spare me so I can go save the people. Baloney. Spare me so I can go spare, save me. So watch the story command. Watch the story happen. The king commanded them to what? What does my friend tell me to do? Tell me what my friend says. Run. Not yet. Not yet. Run. 
I look to my kid, my friend. My friend says, run. So the Dunford family starts to run. Okay? The Dunford family, see if I have a picture. I don't even know if I have a picture to show you. Dang it, that's not right. Ah, where would I have a picture? Nope, not there. Nope, not there. Uh, here's an old one. Here's a very old one. Okay. Um, he's now nine. He's now nine. And they have, two, uh, they have two more kids. And she now has two kids. But look at my family. And we're gonna, let's suppose this is my current family. And we're going to outrun the Lamanite army. This family is going to outrun the Lamanite army. We're running. Now, I'll, I'll hold Owen. He's, he's quite bulky. I'll, but what are the chances Keegan outruns the Lamanite army? Not a chance. Okay, Spencer, you carry Keegan. Can you carry Keegan? All right, how about Corbin? Can Corbin outrun the Lamanite army? Now, pretty soon, uh, we got everyone holding. And then I got Hallie. Hallie's now 19. I don't think she outruns the Lamanite army. And I don't have anyone left to carry her. And so we're falling behind and the Lamanites are going to get us. And I turn to my friend. Help me, friend. Help me. My family's going to be consumed. Here comes the Lamanites. And I turn to my friend. And my friend says what? Tell me what my friend says. Leave the women and the children. And because I'm blind, because I think he's my friend, guess what I do? I'll follow. I let go of my son Owen. I let go of my wife's hand. Spencer and I and McKay, we run. Now, will I outrun the Lamanite army? Yes, because where will they stop? At my family. I'll stop at my 19-year-old daughter. Now these guys get to a clearing. Oh, 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 yes, we're free. Oh, and then all of a sudden what happens? Tell me what happens. What have I done? What have I done? I'm going back. I'm going back. When they had sworn in their hearts that they would return, who stopped them? Who stopped them from going back? Their friend. Their friend. And for the first time ever, tell me what happened. The blinders come off. And they see who he was. Now what do they do? Tell me what they do. In that clearing, what do they do? They burn him. What do you do to tears? Now what do they need? Tell me what they need. Now that they burned a bit, or they burned Noah, what do they need? What would they need right now in their life to help them? A prophet. Need a prophet. Where's the prophet? Where's the prophet? Where is he? They killed him. Well, at least I have my family. I got my family. Wait. I've destroyed that too. It is the most cruel thing that Satan does 
when you are blinded by an enemy and Noah, he waits till the very end, till you've burned all your Abinadi's and then he lifts the blinders off. I've watched it with drugs and alcohol. I've watched it with philosophies. I've watched it with people. I've watched it over and over and over again. What I hear Heavenly Father saying in every book of Scripture, the biggest problem you face in your life is you are letting tares in as wheat. And you are keeping wheat out as tares. And it is affecting your spirituality. And the best way to hear him better is to take out the tares and bring in the wheat. There are people in your life you need to take out of your life because they are poisoning you. They are affecting your spirituality. And you need to be wise enough to say, I can now begin to see who they are. This is affecting this. The other half of that is there are people you have not let into your life. There are people you have kept at a distance who would tremendously increase this if you pulled them in. The repetition of this story has got to mean that Jesus is concerned about living in the latter days and being poisoned. Let me just tell you two very real experiences. I uh, can't tell you how many times I've seen this. Um, one time I watched a girl, taught her all year. In fact, I taught her multiple years. I taught her all year. Quiet, unnoticed girl. Along came Noah and noticed her and swept her off her feet. And she liked that. Felt good. She felt loved. She felt safe. But he was not good for her. And all of her real friends started to notice it. And they started to say, what are you doing? What are you doing? And guess what she said? Tell me what she said. You're judging. You don't understand him. You don't know him. I know him. You don't know him. She was blinded and she didn't even, maybe she did smell it, but she didn't pay attention to the cigarette and the marijuana that we all else, that everyone else smelled. And the language. And we just all kept saying, what, what are you doing? And I watched her one by one burn her friends off. Burned her seminary teacher, burned her parents, left home. And he guesses how the story ends. She ended up pregnant before graduation. And as soon as she got pregnant, where's Noah? Tell me where he was. Gone. What does she need? I need family. Oh, I burned them. I need spiritual guidance. Oh, I burned them. She was alone. Now, luckily, she had an incredible family that welcomed her back. 
But I watched her burn all the Abinadi's in her life because of a Noah who did not care for her. Another time I was teaching seminary and I had a sophomore who just came out of rehab. Sophomore coming out of rehab. And he, he was in this lesson. And I was really nervous. I was so nervous to teach this lesson. And he was quiet the whole time. And then at the end, he got very, very emotional. And he just said, I've got to speak. And we were all kind of like, what's he going to say? And I'll never forget it. He just said, my mom sent me to rehab. My mom sent me to rehab. I hated my mom. I was so angry at my mom. Yes, I would have burned her. But now, and he just wept. Now I realize I don't have a better friend in this world than my mom. And the realization of who is a Noah and who is an Abinadi and what, and, and the blinders was hitting him. So here's what I'd propose we do over the next couple of weeks. I propose, let's start negative and end positive. Don't you think that's a better way to go? Let's start with these. Let's start with the Noahs of our lives that we've allowed in. I want to identify a couple of them and how you will hear him better. Your revelation will flow more freely when you remove the tears. Don't you think this parable is inviting us to, don't, what's the commentary? Get, don't be fooled. Keep the tears out of your life. You can do it in a Christian way, but we've got to remove tears. So the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about some of the tears we have to remove. Now, allow me to focus on you. Now, I'm guessing all of you have a tear that's, that's harming you spiritually. Maybe someone at work. Maybe someone in your family. Ooh, I hope not. I pray that that's not the case, but I've lived long enough to know that it often is. Some of you need to separate from a tear. Now, how you do that kindly in a Christ-like way, I'll leave that to you and the Holy Ghost. What I want to focus on are the tears in here and in here. I think what you tell yourself is often more of a tear than the actual person themselves. That's going to be our first one and our second one. We'll talk about opening your heart to more revelation by removing the tears of your life. And then increasing your revelation by letting in the wheat. I want to talk about two people you have not let into your heart. And it is keeping God at a distance because you haven't. Can you guess who they are? Number one, Jesus. Number two, you. We expect ourselves to be perfect. 
And when we're not, we beat ourselves up. You beating yourself, you seeing you as terror is probably one of the biggest inhibitors to revelation flowing. And my invitation is going to be stop seeing yourself as a terror. Because God doesn't. Speaking of my 19-year-old daughter, I leave you with my testimony. I have seen this pattern in prominent places so that I can't ignore it. I know that your Savior is concerned. Do you guys want to talk to my daughter? I don't think she wants to talk right now, unless that means it's an emergency. She calls me one more time. I may step out and talk to her. Sorry. Um, What was I saying? I believe your Savior is concerned about the tears that have entered your life as wheat. And he's concerned about the wheat that has been kept out of your life as tares. Fixing that will dramatically increase the peace and the spirit in your life. I testify in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.